0: will he or won't he president trump has given his strongest signal yet that he will be running for president in 2024 for legal reasons president trump cannot yet announce that he's running but during an interview with sean hannity the former president did not exactly play coy
1: where are you in the process of or have let me ask you this without giving the answer what the answer is have you made up your mind yes I think you got it
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Have you made up your mind? Yes. Not, well, I'm considering, well, I'm looking. That's what, that's what politicians do when they want to keep the idea going that they'll run, but they don't really want to run. Trump says, yes, I've made up my mind. Can't give an answer. Yes. You're going to be really happy with my answer. Yes, yes, yes. Some Republicans think that it would be the absolute worst thing in the world if Trump runs again. I, for one, I'm not so sure about that. I think Republicans have a lot to learn from the Donald. And from other past leaders, actually from other past Donalds, including the legendary Defense Secretary Don Rumsfeld, who died yesterday. It's getting harder to learn these days because we're losing all of our standards in our schools, on Capitol Hill, in our own private lives. But on this show, today and every day, we will insist on standards. I'm Michael Knowles, this is the Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Lilia Rosales, who says, Michael is reading the NSA statement and paying attention to every word like a spouse that was cheated on. Truly, that's where we all are now. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Parsing every little, you know, you find your, uh, your cad of a husband's cell phone and you're parsing every word, this, that, and the other thing, because the trust has been broken. In a marriage that's gone awry, the trust has been broken. In our relationship to the federal government, these agencies that are spying on us and they're deceiving us about spying on us, that the trust is broken. So we've got to parse every word. And by the way, when you parse every word on that ridiculous NSA non denial denial about spying on Tucker Carlson, when you parse every word, you realize, wait a second, they, didn't, they did not deny what Tucker Carlson is alleging. The NSA, look, just looking in on all of your electronic communications. So you're probably going to want to keep those communications safe. If you want to, I would strongly recommend Start Mail. Free email services like big tech email providers are not really free. They're not. Now, you you don't maybe give your credit card, but you know what you do pay with? Your privacy. Since those companies have access to every email you send and receive, big tech can sell your data to the highest bidder. I think we've heard about this recently with a very famous conservative commentator on a very, very famous cable channel. Some people may be peeping at his emails. If you want to protect your data and your emails, I would strongly recommend you check out Start Mail. Start Mail will keep your email private. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient does not use encryption, which means big tech can't read, scan, analyze, or sell personal information ever. With Start Mail, deleted means deleted. When you delete an email, poof. It's gone forever. And Startmail uses their own servers, not big techs, which means they can't be put out of business. Startmail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, Startmail can generate a shareable alias email so people can't sell your information and they can be deleted any time. If this week hasn't taught you to, to seriously protect your dad, I don't know what will. Head on over to startmail.com slash Knowles, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash I know that Trump has flaws. I know that he created some problems for himself that he probably didn't need to. I know that he made some wrong turns on policy. I'm thinking of the, the first, the, the jailbreak bill, the First Step Act and, and some other problems. But compared to the Republican establishment, I think that guy's got the right impulses. And I think a lot of the Republican establishment politicians really do not. An example of this, I hate, hate to criticize our own side, but I suppose I have to. Representative Kevin McCarthy, was he's the House GOP leader. He was speaking about a bill that would take down Confederate statues in the Capitol. And, you know, this is a problem throughout the United States. Do we tear down The Confederate statues and Kevin McCarthy is supporting this bill this is a bill that is being pushed by Democrats but McCarthy is supporting it and the reason behind why he's supporting it I just it's just a little weak but let me state a simple fact all the statues being removed by this bill are statues of Democrats
1: madam speaker as I heard the speaker talk earlier about removing of the
0: four portraits of speakers in the hall The same answer goes for that as well. They were all Democrats. What's interesting, the statues
1: that need to be removed were sent to the Capitol by states
0: that were majority controlled by Democrats, sent to a house that had a majority controlled by Democrats, accepting of these statues. So the the question is, do we tear down our history? Do we tear down our monuments? Do we tear down the... uh, art pieces that were put up to support a reconciliation between the North and the South after this bloody, horrific civil war? Do we tear those things down? And the left is the one pushing for tearing down the statues because the left hates our history and they don't just hate Robert E. Lee and they don't just hate whoever, Stonewall Jackson. They hate Lincoln, and they hate Washington, and they hate Jefferson, and they want to tear down those statues too. And they've been tearing down those statues for at least a year and a half now. But Kevin McCarthy here is taking this tact of saying, oh yeah, please tear down the Confederate statues. Why, they're Democrats. (laughs) Yes, the Democrats are the real racists. Yeah, that's right. That'll show you Democrats. I'm going to give into that policy that you guys are pushing. I'm going to give into that policy that you are making a big national political issue. (laughs) And you don't even realize how owned you just got. No, I don't think they got owned. I don't think they care. I don't, I don't think the Democrats today feel any care about the fact that Andrew Jackson or any of the Confederates or any of the bad people in history were Democrats. Okay. I don't, I think they just want to tear down our nation's history. And I think it's so, so short sighted. To say, well, good yeah, Robert E. Lee, he was a terrible, rotten traitor. We should tear down anything that in any way represents the South. The whole point of putting up the statues in the first place was that we need to bring our country together with malice toward none and charity for all. So much well, you know, we're not gonna hear that line from Abraham Lincoln much longer, because we're gonna tear down his statues too. It's just so it's just such weak sauce. The Democrats are the real racists. I'm not, the the left takes this way too far and they say the parties switched, which just didn't happen. It's not as though one day all the Republicans and Democrats sat down together and said, okay, the year is 1964. From now on, you guys are going to be the Democrats and we're going to be. That's not what happened. That's preposterous. But parties do shift over time and parties change and not even that they come to resemble one another, but they just change in and of themselves. Tearing down our history, especially history that was put up to reconcile the country, is just a bad idea. And it's part of the broader, ruthless, withering criticism of the country. And it's it's part of the, the attempt to reframe our history and make America look like the bad guys, which is the entire point of the 1619 Project. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Kevin McCarthy. I think a lot of boomer Republicans are, are pulling these same lines. I think it's just ridiculous. I don't think they should do it. I think they need to realize that uh, these little cheap rhetorical flourishes are not going to work very well. But McCarthy's doing some other, other good stuff too. McCarthy demanded yesterday that an investigation be launched into explosive allegations that Joe Biden's administration spied on Tucker. Right. So, so Tucker goes out, makes this claim, says, the NSA's spying on me. I got the receipts. The NSA fake denies it. They, they non-deny deny it. And that we're going to leave it at that, right? But no, at least Kevin McCarthy is looking into that. This is a much more important issue than whatever the next tax cut is. I, I love tax cuts as much as the next guy, but this is a much, much more important issue than whatever the usual Republican fare is. I just wish that Republican leaders would recognize that these cultural issues are, it's, they're all kind of connected right? The idea that the blob is going to spy on Americans and eat away at our political tradition, the idea that we're going to tear down statues, not, by the way, not just of Confederates, but of all of our other forebears as well. The idea that we're going to reframe American history, it's all part of the same revolutionary project. Okay, the, the establishment by which I mean, I mean the blob, I mean the administrative state and big tech and the media, they're all kind of, and the universities and the schools, they're all working in concert. They are not going to give up power. They're taking power from the American people, from the constitutional system, and they are changing it. And this has been a process that's going on for a hundred years. It's gone on since at least Woodrow Wilson. They are not giving up power. LA County right now, LA County officials are calling to lock down again. They're calling for the masks again, because of the Indian variant, which we're, we're not even allowed to call it the Indian variant. By the way, the WHO told us we have to we have to use the Greek alphabet now. So it's not the Indian variant; it's the Delta variant. It was fine when it was the UK variant because white white guys are terrible. So you get forget about you know they're they're awful people. Spanish flu, they're fine by me too. But the minute that you're talking about a non-Western country, you're talking about India or something, that's very racist. You're talking about the China virus where they actually invented the virus. No, that you can't say it's the—it's COVID-19, it's SARS-CoV-2, it's the Delta variant. And, and because there is this new variant, we've all got a lockdown again. Do you Do you see where this ends? It doesn't. <laughs> that's where it ends. From the very beginning of this epidemic, I have basically been licking doorknobs. Okay. I've been greeting people on the street with a French kiss almost. Okay. Don't, I'm joking, by the way. We're going to get to Bill Cosby later. I don't want anybody to accuse me of anything, but I have been very, Uh, inclined to ignore all of the advice from the Dr. Fauci's of the world because those people are liars and they've squandered all their credibility. And now they're just doing it again. It's 18 months. We're 18 months into this thing. We were supposed to be 15 days. And you know what? It's going to go on for another 18 months if you let them. Do not let them. Just tune them out. When you want to tune out all the crazy noise out there, by the way, I would strongly recommend Raycon. When you want to tune out all the crazy noise outside, when you want to tune out you know, people who are just making a lot of cacophony, when you want to listen to your favorite audiobooks, podcasts, I don't know, maybe, maybe both of those will be by little old me. Who knows? Music. You got to check out Raycon wireless earbuds. You put those Raycon earbuds in your ears, they will make all the difference no matter what you're listening to. Crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. I have tried the competitors and I've paid for the competitors. And I'm just telling you, Raycon's a superior product. Okay, it's just the way it goes. Raycons are built to go wherever you go. They look great. They've got a a great comfortable in-ear fit. They've got great cool colors, great compact charging case. Right now, Raycon's offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. Here's what you've got to do. To get it. Go to buyraycon.com noles Knowles. There you will get 15% off your entire Raycon order. And it's such a good deal. You'll want to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com noles Knowles, buyraycon.com slash Knowles. A very legendary politician has just died. That man would be Donald Rumsfeld. Don Rumsfeld, twice defense secretary, Defense Secretary for Bush, one, I think he was the youngest secretary ever at that point. Then Defense Secretary for Bush, two, I think he was the second oldest secretary at that point. Uh, he uh, was a congressman. He uh, was chief staff to, to Jerry Ford. He had a, a pretty legendary career. So all all over the place. And he had, he had these kind of pithy lines. He had Rumsfeld's rules that would circulate around Washington. He... he went out on a sour note because he was presiding over the Iraq war and everyone just blamed him for why the Iraq war didn't didn't go very well. And he bears some blame, but he he really doesn't bear all the blame that people heaped on him. Don Rumsfeld had one of the most famous lines in politics over the past 20, 30 years. And people made fun of him for this line, but I think we need to learn. I think it actually contains a lot of wisdom. I will let him put it in his own words.
1: Reports that say there's that, that, that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me, because as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know.
0: But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know people made fun of him for this for, for weeks and weeks. No knowns, no none. What are you talking about, Don Rumsfeld? This is one of the most sophisticated observations that has come out of our political system in a very long time. Saying there's some things that we know that we know. There are other things that we know that we don't know. It's a gap in our knowledge, but we're at least aware of the gap. And then there are other things that we don't know that we don't know. And those are very, very dangerous. Now, the, the philosopher Slavoj Žižek actually took this a step further. And he said, known knowns, known unknowns, unknown unknowns. And then there's a fourth category, the unknown knowns. (laughs) Stick with me here. I know it's a little confusing. The unknown knowns are the ones that I think we've really got to focus on today because that is what has subtly changed our entire culture. Slavoj Žižek says there are some things that we don't know that we know. We know things, but we're not aware that we know them. That is ideology. Ideology is very often the thing that we, we just don't even know it. We're just, it's like fish swimming in water. It's the air that we breathe. And so we're, we're just not aware of it, but it shapes so much of what we do. This is the topic of my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available now national bestseller. So thank you for everyone who has, uh, who has ordered the book. I'm glad it's getting very nice reviews on Amazon. So thank you for people who who are leaving those there. The way that the left twists language in particular, but institutions as well, is so subtle that it just smuggles in premises. It smuggles in whole views of the world. And we are not even aware that that has taken place, but we just use these kinds of lines. Okay. They're, they're doing it right now in a very clumsy way with the, the pronouns. That's why there's a fight. Ordinarily, they just smuggle in this language and it's no big deal. They did it with same-sex marriage very easily. They, and, and subtly, they said, you know, marriage for all of human history had been about the sexual difference. At the, at the most basic level, it, it involved sexual difference. Then they just smuggled in this idea. They said, you know, it's like a Jedi mind trick. Marriage does not involve sexual difference. There is same-sex marriage. And then because we just used that word and we said, oh, of course, yeah. Marriage doesn't involve sexual difference. These are not the droids I'm looking for. Sure. So yeah. So then the question is, who deserves the right to get married? Well, everybody deserves the right to get married. Okay. That's it. Beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, right? And it's just, it, it just subtly does that. The, the way that we went from a bum to a tramp, to a homeless person, to now an unhoused person, to the housing insecure people. And so you're just subtly shifting blame away. The bum is responsible for his condition. The unhoused person, why he's just a victim of circumstance. Ideology defines which one those are going to be. Do we have Do we have an ideology of personal responsibility? Do we have an ideology of oppression at the hands of, in the case of our society, the straight white men who know that they're men in the patriarchy and all of that? We need to be very aware of that. We're seeing this with this Olympic gal, you know, the Olympian who she got third place in the Olympic trials for throwing a hammer, and then she used the opportunity to disrespect the American flag and in so doing our entire country and all of her countrymen. Remember that? And then she wants to go represent the country at the Olympics. So this, this lady, I, I'm not even going to say her name. I don't, I don't think we need to reward this, this individual's temper tantrum and, and anti-American uh, activism by saying her name and giving her publicity, which is exactly what she wants. But she went on some television show that I haven't haven't heard of, and she explained herself. She said, she wasn't, not disrespecting America, she just she just hates the Star Spangled Banner.
2: Know your history, you know the full song of the national anthem. The third paragraph speaks to slaves in America, our blood being slain and, and piltered all over the floor. Mm-hmm. It's disrespectful and it does not speak for Black Americans. It's obvious. There's no. There's no question.
0: Uh, the third stanza of the of the Star-Spangled Banner does not refer to sl- uh, slaves' blood being slain, slang and piltered all over the ground because those aren't words. I mean, they're I suppose they're slang is a word, but it doesn't it doesn't mean what she thinks it means. And pil- I don't, I've never heard of piltered. I don't. So it's not English. That's why it, that's not that's why that's not what's happening in the third stanza. Second of all, the meaning of that verse, which is, uh, uh, refers to the hireling and slave and about how how no refuge will save the hireling and slave. The meaning of that verse is really not clear in in some place. It may refer to American slaves, but it, it also very likely refers to the German troops, for instance, that the British were hiring and who who were purchased from German princes. It uh, may refer to the British process of impressment. Uh, uh, The author of the Star-Spangled Banner never made clear what he meant by that expression. Uh, Regardless, though, let's just say it's even right. Let's say it's referring to slaves who went and fought for the British, and and the Star-Spangled Banner talks about how terrible they are. Nobody sings the third verse. Whoever sings the third verse of the Star-Spangled Banner? Nobody. It's a completely contrived problem because you're using the excuse of a line about a slave that may or may not refer to American slaves as a justification for getting rid of the whole Star-Spangled Banner as part of the project of reframing American history. There is is a national anthem? Well, now there's a black national anthem, which is sometimes played at public events. There's an independence day. Well, now there's the Juneteenth national independence day, the new national independence day. There is the traditional understanding of America centered around the goodness of the country and the founding fathers. Now there's the new reframing of America put forward by the 1619 project. It's just a new shift. This woman says, if you know your history, you know this. She doesn't know her history. She doesn't barely knows the English language, but what she does know is ideology and she doesn't even know that she knows it. This is the unknown known. This sick ideology that is totally contrary to our country and contrary to her flourishing and the flourishing of all of our countrymen has just seeped in and she's not, she's just swimming in it. She's not, not even aware of it. She goes on though. She says, yeah, I hate the national anthem. I totally disrespected it, but I still want to play in the Olympics.
2: I never said that I didn't want to go to the Olympic Games. That's why I competed and got third and made the team. I never said that I hated the country, never said that. All I said was I respect my people enough to not stand or acknowledge something that disrespects them. I love my people, point blank, period. I mean, I learned that family matters. Um, Despite the economic oppression that we faced growing up, you know, I still have my family. And my grandmother, she did everything she could to make sure that we survived and had a roof over our head. And that's special.
0: Very interesting language she's using here. So first it's so silly. She goes, I'm not disrespecting the country. Uh, Well, if you disrespect the star spangled banner, which is the symbol of the country, you are disrespecting the country. If you disrespect the symbol, you're disrespecting the symbolized. That's why symbols symbolize things. Well, I still wanna play in the Olympics. Yeah, I know you do, but (laughs) it's not about you lady. It's about the team which represents the country. Then she uses this subtle line. She says, Yeah, we faced economic oppression growing up. Oppression. Not we had economic troubles, not we had economic suffering, which a lot of us have, probably all of us have at some point in our lives, or the vast majority of us do. Oppression. It was somebody else's fault. It wasn't because a family member ran away, it wasn't because a family member didn't, didn't go work hard. It wasn't because someone made bad choices. It wasn't because someone wasn't able to overcome. It wasn't, it was oppression. Somebody did this to us through no fault of our own. Is that really how life works? Is life really that simple? I don't think so. Then she says, it's not, I, I'm not saying I hate the country. I just love my people. What do you mean your people? <laughs> to use a popular rejoinder. What do you mean your people? Who are your people? Here, she's, he's, she's obviously implying black people, and she's saying that the national anthem is against black people. The Star-Spangled Banner, a symbol of the whole country, is opposed to black people. And so when push comes to shove, she's going to side with the black people over America because she sees them as being at odds. I don't see them as being at odds. I, actually, the only way we can have a country is if we believe that our people are the American people. There are gradations of identity. There's a national identity, State identity, local identity, religious identity, racial identity, family identity, the basic political union. She says, I love my family. Right. In order to have a flourishing society, all of those things need to be in order, of accord, in in subsidiarity, to use a technical term. Okay, They can't be opposed to one another, but increasingly what we're seeing is division between Well, actually, even within the family, especially the left is trying to sow that. And then between the family and the state and the state and the country and the races, obviously, they're trying to gin up racial division and sexual division. They're trying to put that all against one another. In order for the country to flourish, your people has to include all of those things. Down the family, up to the race and the community and everything, all the way up to the nation. Ideology has warped that. It's taught her a lot of things she knows that she doesn't even know that she knows. Ben today is going to be talking about some of the sexual perversion going on, including kink for the kitties. We'll get into that a little bit too. i will be talking about Bill Cosby. Go check that out. You know, also history tends to be painted as dry and boring, but not on Daily Wire's new podcast, America's Forgotten Heroes. These seven action-packed episodes illuminate men whose heroic acts have not received the recognition they deserve. The first episode concerns Union soldier Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, who dashed directly into history at the Battle of Gettysburg by strategically charging the Confederates and narrowly dodging a bullet that grazed his cheek on the way. His actions were pivotal to the Union winning such a hard-fought battle, and many Americans don't even know his name. Subscribe now to America's Forgotten Heroes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you might listen so that you can catch the first episode, which is available today, Thursday, July 1st. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and help share these incredible stories. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the heroes that have made such a terrific podcast possible. By the way, go order Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. The libs are really upset that the book is a national bestseller. So uh, I appreciate all of you who have read it. And I hope that more of you continue to read it and write into me and let me know what you think. Unless you don't like it, then don't let me know. We'll be right back with a lot more. Racial grievance is probably the the most significant form of currency today. It can get you out of anything. That lady at the Olympics who disrespected the American flag and the whole country at the Olympic trials, she says, well, you know, but it's my people and the oppression and the grievance and okay, she's probably going to get off the hook. This is true even at fairly high levels of politics. Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago. The one thing I kind of respect about Lori Lightfoot is her just absolute brazen cynicism. (laughs) She doesn't try. She doesn't really try to glad hand. She's just a pure power, corrupt machine politician. And there's something you've got to give a grudging respect to that. So Lori Lightfoot is in big trouble because crime is spiking throughout Chicago. That place is like Fallujah right now. Uh, crime is way, way up. She's, she's lying and pretending that it's down year over year, but you've seen huge spikes you know, up, up in crime, in shootings and in murders. And Lori Lightfoot says, the only reason people are complaining about this is because she's a black woman. There have been questions raised about your, your temperament and uh, your reaction to criticism. Uh, Tribune editorial used the term irascible. Uh, how much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that you're a woman, and partic- specifically a black
1: woman?
2: About 99% of it. Look at my predecessors. Um, did, did people say that Rich Daly um, held uh, you know, uh, tea sessions uh, with people that he didn't disagree on? Uh, Rahm Emanuel? was a polite um, guy who was a a uniter? No. Women and people of color are always held to a different standard. I understand that. I've known that my whole life.
0: That's it. She's such a victim, the mayor of Chicago. She's such a victim, you know? So uh, she can't succeed. She can't become um, the mayor of a major American city. No, because of the racism. Amazing, amazing how that the racism didn't prevent her from rising to a very high political position, but it is causing her to be criticized. Has nothing to do with the bullets and the deaths and the the riots that took place and the looting and the arson and the murders. And no, no, it's just because she's a black woman, right? By the way, if you dare, if you dare criticize that kind of line of argument, oh man, the establishment is going to come after you, especially if you are a white person, especially if you're a a white dude. Oh, that's really bad. There was a host on MSNBC, Tiffany Cross, who uh, just recently attacked Bill Maher. Bill Maher is a liberal, uh, but he's a white guy, and he's a liberal who is not totally politically correct. And so he sometimes goes after the excesses of the woke people. And, you know, he reserves most of his criticism for the right, but a little bit for the left. That was too much for MSNBC, delves right into the identity politics of identity politics. This is a black woman saying that that white man needs to shut his mouth.
1: Okay, Bill Maher has been whack for a long time. From his makeout session with the blackface expert Megan Kelly to his infamous use of the N-word on his show for which he later apologized, and his continual mostly white weekly panels where he sings sob songs to them about the perils of the shrinking demographic and chides anyone who falls even slightly outside of his myopic, privileged view. Anybody find it interesting that this quote-unquote liberal ally is sounding a lot like a moderate Fox News contributor? Bill Maher, you do not get to tell people of color what they should or should not be offended by. Stay in your lane, Slim. Try that instead of standing on your alabaster perch every week to crap on other people's lived experience while providing a safe haven for well-established white supremacists. Because I gotta tell you, this old, angry white man act is so played. The truth is, what's happening now is an evolution, and you are fighting for your power and privilege to not become fossilized while basking in the rays of your own non-existent cleverness and comedy bits circa three decades ago. And quite frankly, it's just offensive at this point. The country, like it or not, is changing in real time. And sadly, fake time with Bill Maher is not.
0: Whoa, man, this woman is a vile, vile racist, right? Do you, I mean, I know the word racist doesn't mean anything anymore because the left has watered it down to mean nothing. But if racist means anything, it means that woman, right? This entire attack is on Bill Maher because he's white his alabaster perch, stay in your lane, white man. How dare you question the lived experiences of black people? How dare you question the lived experience of that white guy named Bill Maher? (laughs) By by your own logic, you're saying one cannot ever criticize the opinions and actions of someone of another race, right? That's exactly what you're doing. and You're doing it on the basis of race. Even crazier, you'll very often hear the left say, that uh, there is this crazy conspiracy theory that the left wants to uh, uh, replace white people as a a demographic in the United States and that they're cheering it on as the process of immigration and and things like that lead to a declining demographic. And that's a sick white supremacist conspiracy theory. She's... She's the one articulating it. <laughs> She's the one saying, the demographics are changing. It's inevitable. You're losing your power. And that's good. This is evolution. You're, you're ossifying. You're turning into a fossil on the basis of your race. And other races are gaining in power. And we're going to have a racial politics. And you just need to shut up and take it. That is, I don't know of any, well, first of all, how many white supremacists are there in America? I don't know, like three and they all work for the FBI, but, but I've never heard of, of a white supremacist articulating that alleged conspiracy theory nearly as clearly as that woman on MSNBC. Vile, vile politics. That's what she's saying to him. This is it. I, I don't think that she knows what she's saying. I don't, I think she M- much like the, the broad, the, the left broadly, and this leftist broad, by the way, <laughs> I, I think that she is living in the unknown known, that this just this ideology is blinding her to the, the glaring contradictions in what she's saying. Or if it's not a contradiction or if it's not hypocrisy, then it's just this double standard. And it's double standard along the lines of race and to a lesser degree sex in this case. Because Bill Maher's big transgression is not just that he's white, but he's, he's a white man. And that's very terrible, and you're not not allowed to criticize anybody. That is ideology. The ideology is not just in the racial realm. And th- by the way, this, this woman's vile racist attack, not, not even the creepiest, craziest, most radical thing we've seen in the past few days. Washington Post, piece by Lauren Roello. yes. Kink belongs at pride, and I want my kids to see it. Kink. What is kink? You know, there is sexual orientation. There was the homosexual rights movement, men who were attracted to men, then some women who were attracted to women. Then there was the transgender rights movement, men who think that they're women, women who think that they're men. And then there's this idea of kink, which is what uh, Drew, Drew will sometimes use the... Uh, the British expression, the old slap and tickle. <laughs> that's, you know, <laughs> that's kink It's just when you have some kind of unusual sexual fetish or sexual fantasy. And that is now considered not just some kind of quirk because mankind has fallen and we've all got kind of weird things going on in our head. That is now considered a full on sexual identity and not just a sexual identity, but because sex is now so central, sexual desire is so central to everyone's sense of self. That is a very basic identity. So this woman, I won't go through this entire disgusting disgusting uh, article, but uh, she's talking about how she takes her, her little kids to uh, go see this pride march. And uh, she says that her wife is trans, but wasn't out at the time. So I guess that means her wife is, does that mean her I don't know what that means. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. Is it a man to a woman or a woman to a man? Whatever. Uh, so she typically only expressed her authenticity and the privacy of our home, but she wore a green skirt and light makeup, brushing her hair to one side. Uh, that was her. Okay. So I guess it's a man who thinks he's a woman or something. Anyway, they bring the kids to this pride parade and then... Uh, As we got settled, our elementary schooler pointed in the direction of oncoming floats, raising an eyebrow at a bare-chested man in dark sunglasses whose black suspenders clipped into a leather thong. The man paused to be spanked playfully by a partner with a flog. What are they doing, my curious kid asked as our toddler cheered them on. The pair was the first of a few dozen kinksters who danced down the street, laughing together as they twirled their whips and batons, some leading companions, by leashes. At the time, my children were too young to understand the nuance of the situation, but I told them the truth. These folks were members of our community celebrating who they are and what they like to do. And then she goes on to explain how happy she is that uh, her kids are watching perverts spank one another in thongs and and leather, leather suspenders. Obviously, these children should be taken away from this mother. This mother is sexually abusing her children we told you this would happen. In this case, I genuinely do hate to say I told you so. Often I jokingly say I hate to say I told you so. In this case, I actually am sorry to say that I told you so. Whenever the sexual revolution has progressed from the 1960s to the present, conservatives have always said, this is going to lead to this, and this is going to lead to this, and this is going to lead to this, and this is going to lead to the sexual abuse of children. And every step of the way, the left and the sexual revolutionaries have said, oh, give me a break. That's just the slippery slope argument. Oh, come on, give me a break. In every single instance, the slippery slope has been corrected. And now I think we're basically down at the bottom of the slippery slope. I do actually explain in my book, Speechless, available now to order, how it was kind of always baked in. If second wave feminism is true and men and women are basically the same. They're interchangeable. A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. If that is true, all, the only differences between men and women are superficial, then obviously you've got to redefine marriage because men and women are the same. So if, if marriage is the union of one man and one woman, but men and women are the same, then obviously marriage must include the union of two men and two women. But if that's true, then obviously you have to have transgenderism. Because if men and women are exactly the same and the only differences are superficial, why then men can be women and women can be men? Maybe they have to get a little cosmetic surgery, but that's it. Then, then it's all the same. And by the way, if this is true, if that's a fact of human nature that men can be women and women can be men and there's really no difference, why then, of course, you've got to do it to children. You've got to permit children to to transition. That's not even a question of consent. That's just, uh, that's just a Fact of nature, right? There are plenty of things children don't consent to because children can't consent to anything because they they haven't reached the age, the age of reason or the age of maturity. So you know, parents decide what their children are going to eat. Parents decide where their children are going to go to school. And parents now will decide whether their children will express themselves as a boy or a girl, because that's just a fact of nature. That was always going to happen. The problem is it's just wrong. And the right wing arguments from consent or free choice or individual liberty and total misunderstanding of liberty or individual autonomy or whatever, they ain't going to cut it. You've actually got to be able to draw a line and say, exposing children to perverts spanking one another in thongs is wrong. It's abuse. There needs to be a consequence. We need to enforce a consequence. We need laws against this and we need punishments for the people who transgress those laws. Speaking of sexual perverts, they are not just taking place at the kink section in the kitty area of the pride parades. They also exist in our jails and now some of them exist outside on the way out of our jails, namely Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Hey, hey, hey. Getting off the hook, uh, Bill Cosby uh, was exposed for uh, lots and lots of creepy sexual acts over his career. And uh, the story was always a bit convoluted because these stories came out only decades and decades later. Women at the time did not seem to think that they were exactly rape or they maybe they were, but they kept, maintained relationships with Cosby per, per, for professional reasons or even personal reasons. And then later on, they say, no, I really was abused. And then, so finally, one of these cases that was not outside of the statute of limitations, that finally got, got Cosby thrown in the clink. Well, Cosby now is getting, getting out on a, a bit of a technicality, but the technicality was this. Cosby was brought to a civil trial. So there's a difference right? Civil is money, criminal is jail time. Cosby's brought up on these civil charges and the prosecutor says, "If you admit to doing certain things, we will not prosecute you for them. So for the purposes of the civil trial, just admit it, just say you'll do it and then we'll carry on with the civil issue and you'll be you'll get immunity on the on the criminal charges." So he does that and then they they basically pull the rug out from under him and say, "Actually, nope, sorry, uh, we're going to prosecute you. So he goes to jail and now Cosby is getting out. The, the issue with the Cosby story is everyone is really trying to oversimplify it. So on the one hand, you've got the Me Too movement, which is saying this guy is a, just the worst rapist in the history of America. And it's just clear cut and he's like a guy in an alleyway. That's not quite true. Bill Cosby was not a guy in a dark alleyway. Bill Cosby was a very, very powerful guy in Hollywood who used young women for sex, and some women used him for professional advantage. And that doesn't excuse Bill Cosby's behavior in any way, but it complicates the story a little bit. It's kind of like the Weinstein story. The the Weinstein story was complicated because many of his victims, many of the people who claimed that he raped them, continued seeing him, continued a sexual relationship with him for a long time because he was one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. And they felt either intimidated that they would be in, in danger if they spoke out or they felt that they would lose their career. And many people did lose their careers when they did speak out against him, which furthered the issue. It's a much more complicated sexual issue. Now, some people have taken the complete opposite position. Said, look, in a lot of it, maybe not every case with Cosby and with, with Harvey Weinstein, in many cases though, that, and actually, I suppose Cosby, it's harder because he would actually drug these women. But in some cases, the women took drugs voluntarily and at repeated times but it's a little easier with Weinstein because Weinstein it was so, so transactional so much of the time but they'll take the complete opposite and they'll say this isn't rape this isn't it doesn't meet in at least some of the cases it doesn't meet the criminal definition of rape and so these guys are off the hook there is a third option here though the third option is standards the third option is even if Cosby and Weinstein in most of these cases were not predators lurking in a dark alleyway late at night, even if there was complexity and nuance, and even if there were relationships here, and even if the relationships went on afterward, and even if the women at the time in some cases didn't think it was rape, but later did, even then what they did was intrinsically wrong. It is intrinsically wrong to pressure women into effectively becoming prostitutes to advance in their career. It is intrinsically wrong to indulge in what was obviously Bill Cosby's weird sexual fetish, kink, I guess you'd call it, of sleeping with drugged up women. That is in itself wrong, but we're not allowed to say that anymore. The reason that no one, very few people, only only even just a handful of conservatives, not even a lot of conservatives go squish on this, but the reason that it's so hard to take that position is because you have to say that there is a purpose for sex, that sexual acts, the, the rightness or wrongness of sexual acts does not merely rely on consent. Consent is obviously an important factor, but it does not merely rely on it. That some sexual acts, even if the parties are both willing participants, some of them are still wrong. I'm reminded of the Marilyn Manson story. Marilyn Manson, the, he's that very popular singer who is also probably the most famous Satanist in America. Gosh, who would have imagined that the world's most famous Satanist is not, not necessarily the greatest guy in the world? He had a long-term relationship with Evan Rachel Wood, and Evan Rachel Wood now comes out later and says, he pressured me, he abused me, whatever. Marilyn Manson says it was consensual. They both might be right. They both might be right, but, but the degrading sexual acts that they engaged in were intrinsically wrong. It was wrong of the guy to do it. Speaking of weird sex stuff, a biological male who identifies as female, Cataluna Enriquez, is now Miss Nevada USA was crowned that way on Sunday, the first male contestant to become Miss Nevada. okay? Nobody did this because this guy is the most beautiful of all the women, right? And they all did it because of ideology. I remember when I was at Yale there was a it was like a Mr. Yale competition and when I was there they gave it to a, a woman. And this was this was a great win, right? But no one did it because they really thought that the woman was the coolest guy on campus or whatever or they did it because of ideology they did it to prove a point it was it was just that thing that we're all kind of floating in well of course why can't why can't a man be Miss Nevada because he's a man well but but no but it's just a, it's all about just our free choice and our self-expression and our identity no i don't think so Tarantino made this point Quentin Tarantino movie star speaking of some weird sexual desires <laughs> he, uh, Tarantino was on Bill Maher's show of all things And he said that art has become so ideological now.
1: There has become a thing that's gone on, it seems like in this, especially this last year, where, um, Mm. uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Uh, uh, Ideology is more important than art. Way more, certainly to the awards.
0: Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's like, you know, ideology trumps art. Ideology trumps individual effort. Ideology trumps good ideology Trump's entertaining. Right, he's hitting on something. We're all much more aware of this, but the reason we're more aware of that is because the radicals have upended what was the general consensus. There used to be a standards and a tradition in America that we all kind of agreed on and we were not aware of it. And, and it gave us the ability to have a broad private realm. The, the personal was not so political because it was all just settled and we all agreed. And then the radicals came in, upended all of that, unsettled all of that, and then everything became up for ideological debate. That is a process I talk about at length in Speechless, exactly how that happened. Because of that, we must fight the political battle. We, can't, we will not be able to go back to depoliticized, de-ideologized art before we win that political battle. It was settled, it's been upended, and it's up for, for contest right now. And we will either win or lose that before it settles down again. And then it will float back into the background as it, as it unfortunately is beginning to do. On the left's terms, and we will all just exist again in that in that unknown known. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also. Be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive Producer, Jeremy Bory. Our Technical Director is Austin Stevens. Supervising Producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production Manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and Associate Producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio Mixer, Mike Coramina, Hair and Makeup by Nika Geneva. And Production Coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Bill Cosby goes free. A columnist pushes LGBT kink for children in the pages of The Washington Post. And President Biden is caught between a moderate rock and a radical hard place.
1: That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.